closing chapters of Isaiah. It's taken us over a year or so. Um, and he, in these closing chapters, he's describing um, the way the whole, uh, not just the way the whole book, but the whole world kind of wraps up. Right? He's, he's talking about the second coming of Christ, uh, the, the, the tribulation, the end of the tribulation period, something that involves the world, but it's primarily about Israel. Okay, so, and, and we I tried to point that out, that out a couple times over the last few weeks, um, because it can be confusing, you know, whether uh, is he talking about the church, is he talking about me, is he talking about Israel, is he talking about Jesus? Um, you know, it's important to kind of try to keep track of who Isaiah is writing to and about. And, uh, and there, um, I caution you because uh, there are people who have uh, strange theology when it comes to the end times and Israel and, and uh, you know, replacement theology where people say that everything that was about Israel is now about the church. That's not accurate either. Um, so anyway, uh, just kind of something that people, you know, be aware of as we read this stuff. And, and certainly there are things that apply to us, but uh, the, those last um, last days are going to be primarily about God keeping His promise to Israel. So, all that being said, let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you this evening for God just blessing us to be be able to gather together in, uh, in safety and uh, warm and safe uh, and we're able to, to worship openly and freely something that not all of our brothers and sisters in the world uh, are able to do something we take to them. We thank you for that this evening Lord. we thank you that you preserved your word for us uh, that we can look into it and, and see how your promises have played out how your plan has played out and, uh, and I have our own faith uh, supported and built up from seeing those promises play out. God, as we study tonight, we just pray that you would bless us to understand it, uh, what we understand correctly, help us to apply it. And anything we get wrong, we'll just wipe it from our minds and replace it with a zeal to, to come back again and, and get it right. And we thank you for your mercy and grace. Okay, Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silence. So, all that stuff I said a few minutes ago, he, Isaiah makes it pretty clear. Right? He says, for Zion's sake. Zion is um, another name for Jerusalem. It actually, it specifically refers to uh, Mount Zion, which is, is the mountain just south and west of uh, the Temple Mount of Mount Moriah. Um, and so in, in the Bible, God himself called that place Zion. And he says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. 
until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is gone. I have a hard time uh, I have a hard time finishing things that I start. I'm sure I'm the only guy in here that has that problem. I have some trim boards, uh, baseboard trim in my basement that I bought like five years ago. And I trimmed most of the house. Uh, there's one room where I trimmed most of that room. Uh, and we moved some furniture and I went, oh, yeah, I didn't, didn't do that small. Uh, but, you know, I, I have good intentions, but I, I have a hard time finishing things that I start. And God says here, though, He says, you know, until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. God, he says, I'm, uh, I finish what I said. Right? He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, Bible tells So he's not done with you, uh, and he's not done with Israel. Right? So he says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Verse 2. The nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. So, he says the nations are going to see what I'm going to do with you. By that, you know, he means the Gentiles, the people who are not Zion, the people who are not Jews are going to see what I am going to do for you and with you and through you. And he says, you know, your righteousness is going to be seen. Of course, their righteousness is going to be in him. Right? It's not that the Jews are suddenly going to become really, really super good people. But the, the, their Lord is going to be revealed to the world. But he says, I'm going to give you a new name. Now, it could mean literally that he's just going to call them something different. Um, I think it's more like I don't think he's going to rename Jerusalem you know well I guess he does talk about a new Jerusalem so maybe you know uh, but I think what he's getting at is people are going to change the way they talk about you Zion people are going to change the way they talk about you Jerusalem the way they talk about you Israel what I am going to do in and through you is going to change the way people think about you and talk about you. And that extends to Christians as well, right? That's something he wants to do in us. As a matter of fact, he, uh, the Bible tells us that there's a, a time coming when he literally, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, he's literally going to change your name. Uh, Revelation 2, verse 17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives. I've always thought that was so cool, but Jesus has a pet name for you. Right? Like a, it's like an inside 
joke, a little thing that, you know, he's going to know that name, and you're going to know that name because he's going to show it to you. And nobody else knows. Uh, something that matches your, your new, completely transformed nature. Uh, a name that only you and he will know. That's, I don't know, that's just so cool to me. Uh, I have some of that with with my own kids, right? Like they, um, they have their name on their birth certificate, and then they have the thing I call them. Uh, well, they have the thing that I call them when I'm mad, and then they have the thing that I call them when, you know, uh, when I'm being sweet with them. And so, I don't know, I just think that's really neat that, that Jesus is going to have a new name for me someday. I hope it's something cool. Uh, Isaiah 62, verse 3 says, You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So he says to Zion, You're going to be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. What are, what are crowns for? They don't actually give anybody power. right? It's a... Uh, it's an outward sign of, of royalty and, and dignity, but you can put a crown on a pig and it doesn't make it a king or a king, right? Uh, but it's, it's supposed to be an outward sign of, of something else. Proverbs 12 talks about how uh, someone can be a crown for someone else. Right? He says Israel is going to be like a crown for the Lord. Proverbs 12, verse 4, it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. So if you have an excellent wife, it, it shows that there's something, you know, dignified about you. You, know, you must be doing something right, you know, to, to, have, uh, uh, to have scored this awesome wife. But... She who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. So, you know, it can go either way. But in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul describes the church at Thessalonica. He says that he calls them his crown of rejoicing. Right? So it's there something he can point to and say, look, here's one of the reasons I have joy. Right? I can kind of show them off. As, as, a, as an example to others. In Zechariah 9, verse 16, in the New King James, it says, uh, The Lord their God will, will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his head. And, and there's a few other references to this. The point is, God's restoration of Israel is going to be a thing that the whole world will look at and say, wow, he really is God. He really is the king. He, he kept his promise. Isaiah 62, verse 6. Because it will no longer be said to you for Satan nor to your land will any longer be said desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her. Now if you have, um, if you have a King James, it'll, it may say, uh, Hephzibah, right? which is just 
a name that means my delight is in him. And your land married. And again, if you have the King James, it says Beulah. Some of you may be familiar with that term. Like there's some songs about Beulah. Um, Beulah, I call, I call Ganna Beulah because it means blessed to be married to the king. <laughs> I've never called her Beulah. It says, uh, you will be called, my delight is in her and your land, married or blessed to be married to the king. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. So he says, you know, people now, or at that, you know, at the time Isaiah's writing it, uh, Israel is, you know, in the midst of all kinds of trials, and, and they're looking at their country becoming desolate. Uh, the people are going to be taken captive. It's a terrible time. And he, so he's, in the short term, he's encouraging them, that, hey, don't worry, it's not always going to be like that. And they do end, eventually come back into the land. But after that, after um, uh, you know, after Rome kind of takes over Israel again, it's kind of made desolate again. And, and really, it's only been in, in the last... 70 years or so that Israel has been even somewhat restored. And we've talked about that quite a bit throughout this study, but uh, Israel today is a beautiful country. It's not like, you know, when I, I've always thought, when I think of Israel, I think there's sand and a few rocks, you know, and everything's bright. And that's just not the reality. It's a beautiful place. Uh, but he said someday it's going to be even better than right? it. No one's going to talk about this as a as a scary place. This is going to be the place where God's wife is. God, Jehovah, God the Father, we're told, is and his bride is Israel. Right? Uh, we took a lot, look at that earlier in Isaiah as well as, as in uh, Jeremiah. God's bride was Israel. He says, you know, I've, I've, I've made a covenant with you. We're married. Um, but his bride cheated on him. His bride uh, went after false gods and, and, and did everything wrong. And they were separated. But he never totally gives up on them. And he says, rather than being considered forsaken, by the Lord, God's people will be restored uh, to a close and a loving relationship with Him. And all they need will be provided for them. So that's what He, he says, you know, you're going to be you alone, the place where you're completely secure, where you know that Everything you need is going to be provided, that you are loved and cherished. That's what Israel one day has, some, has to look forward to. So you got me thinking, uh, you know, what, is, what is your Beulah land? By that, I mean, uh, what is, do you have a place where you can go and it's just you 
from God. And, and you feel completely secure. Where you feel like you can be the closest to Him. This time of year, some I, I know some guys are like, yeah, it's my spiritual or whatever. You know? Maybe. But, you know, do you, if you don't have a place where... And I, I, you know, you can be close to God anywhere. You can read your Bible anywhere. But I mean, if, if you don't have, Jesus talks about this, that you need a prayer closet, right? You need a place where you can just get away from all the distractions, everything that's stressing you, and just say, right now, it's just me and you. I encourage you to, to find that. Anyway, we'll read on here. Verse 5 says, uh, for as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. And basically, the picture here is this time when when Israel is restored, when God's bride is back home. You know, um, they're going to be like newlyweds. You know, it's like the the, the honeymoon period. It's just the best. Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with strength. He will rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourself. And give Him no rest until He establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. This is interesting. First of all, He says, uh, you who remind the Lord, don't rest. You know, when when we pray, when we sing songs of praise, all we're doing is, is saying to God what He's already said. Right? We're reminding God that you promised this, God. Oh, you are holy and you are righteous. You will always come through, all, you know, all that stuff. We're just telling him what he already knows, but he wants to hear it. From him. When we pray, he already knows what you're going through, but he wants you to talk to him. And, and, and here he says, you who remind the Lord, take no rest and give me no rest. Right? Give the Lord no rest. In other words, like, keep me up at night. Don't worry. Don't think you're bothering me with your prayer. I want to hear from you. If it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I want to hear from you. But there's something more interesting than that. Because on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. This word here, watchmen, you'll see it uh, all over the Old Testament. But it's an interesting word to say, Messiah. And we get a, a derivative from that is, is uh, Nazarene, a Nazarene. Early Christians were called just that. They were called Nazarene. 
Now, there's a few reasons for that. that they were first called Christians at Antioch by the Persians. But uh, all throughout ancient history, you'll see them referred to as Nazarenes. And many of us believe that the, the primary role of Christians uh, in regard to Israel is that we're to be watchmen, that we're to look out for and pray for Israel. We're to, we're to love what God loves. Now, give me a heart for, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours, we used to sing in another song here. We're to love what God loves, and God loves Israel. And so we're to be watching. We're to watch out for them and be praying for them. First uh, Timothy 2, verse 1, says this, says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers Petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of what? All men. Women, you're on your own, but men. Be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When we study prophecy, um, some people are overly focused on it. Some people get weird ideas about it or from it. And some people are scared of it, are scared by it. You know, the idea when we start talking about Antichrist and Armageddon and all this stuff, it's scary, you know. But uh, God didn't give us prophecy to scare us, but to prepare us. And so because we know what's coming, because, because He told us what's coming, it should give us a zeal to, uh, to share the truth with people who are not prepared. To share the truth with people who are perishing. Uh, and it should give us uh, a commitment to Zion, right? To Israel. That we should care about what happens there. Right? We hear it all the time, you know, why, why are we sending money to the Middle East or whatever? Which not everything that goes on over there is in Israel's favor or something that we should be involved in. But the reason, you know, why it matters is because Israel is over there, right? You should still pay attention to what's happening over there. In, in any event, uh, because we know what's coming, we should, uh, we should share the truth with people. And that's why we study prophecy, to know what's coming and know what we can warn people about. So Isaiah 62, verse 8. Says, the Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His strong arm, I will never again... Give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored. Uh, but those who garner it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it will drink drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a standard over the people. 
So this little section, some people take this you know, more literally or practically, and uh, that we should be actively working uh, toward you know, returning Israel's land to her and building her up and all, all of that. And, and I'm not against that, but um, and, you know, restoring Israel's borders and all that. However, we know that m- almost everything that gets is built up over there right now is going to be kind of torn down again uh, before uh, all this tra- prophetic stuff is said and done. I think there's more of a, a, a general concept here that's important. Uh, but there are many obstacles in people's lives that stand in the way of them being ready for the Lord's return. He says here, literally, you know, build up the roads, remove the obstacles, get it ready. And there are all sorts of obstacles in people's lives that make them not ready for the Lord's return. And, you know, are you preparing yourself to be to be ready to to help remove those obstacles for people? And it, it might be that you know, there's just a one burning question that is keeping them from being, a, you know, being able to accept Jesus, and you may, might be the person who can help answer that question. Um, there might be obstacles in my own heart that are keeping me from being ready. You know. Just something to examine. Something that you know. Is, is there anything hindering me, Lord? Show me. Is there anything? Uh, that I can do to help remove obstacles for my brother who needs to know about the Lord, or for my cousin, or my friend, or my co-worker. I think it's something we need to be, you know, we, we kind of go on autopilot more often than we realize. And uh, time is short, and you know, eternity is a long time, and hell is hot. We could be probably having a little more passion and zeal for sharing the gospel with people than we, uh, than we normally do. Isaiah 62, verse 11, it says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. That wording, that language, may sound familiar to you in Revelation 22, 12, and well, 1 Corinthians 3, where Pastor Chris was on Sunday, he used the same imagery that the Lord's reward is with him. Um, and they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called, sought out, a city not for this. Israel's been called a lot of things. Uh, and the de- devil has done his level best to wipe them off the planet. Here. They shouldn't be. I don't mean that like, you know, I want them gone. I'm just saying, statistically, they shouldn't be. Israel was never an empire. There was a Roman Empire. Where is it at? Gone. There were Assyrians. There were Greeks. There were uh, all sorts of different empires throughout history have risen and fallen. Many of them 
crashed against the gates of Jerusalem. Some of them took, you know, the Babylonians took them captive. But Israel is still around. And he says, in that day, nothing anyone else has ever said about them will matter. In that day, when, when the Lord comes back, what they'll say is they are not forgiven. They are God's delight. You know, you are that as well. You are His delight. In Ephesians, it says that you are His masterpiece, His unique piece of art. There's not another one like that. Luke 15 a little off subject, but I want to go there. Luke 15, verse 4, it says, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. Which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin which I have lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So look, do you consider yourself a person who God delights in? Can you say to yourself, God delights in me? Some of us would really struggle to say it. Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verse 16, says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained, when as yet there was not one. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The God of the galaxies, the God who counts the... The God who made the stars, the God who knows how many grains of sand are on the beach, is also the God who counts the hairs on the head. For some of us, that's the easiest job than others. The God of the galaxies is the God who calls you his delight. And he has made promises to you, and the promises that he absolutely will keep. And the faithful. Well, we thank you tonight, Christian.
that you are still faithful. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. You made promises to Israel, and over and over you let us know you are going to keep them. And you've made promises to us. Promises that if we trust in you, we can have eternal life. Promises that, uh, that if we just trust you in our daily lives, that our lives would be fuller and richer. Lord, we, uh, we just pray that you would help us to see others the way we see them. And maybe what's more difficult, help us to see ourselves the way we see them. Lord, I just pray that every person hearing my voice would know that uh, they are your delight. Love you so much that you're willing to die for us. Well, we have so many things to be thankful for, but uh, your love, your grace, and your mercy have got to be at the top of it. We pray that uh, your will will be done in our lives, that we would have uh, more and more faith in you and trust in you, and we pray that you come and come quickly. And all God's people say, Ready? Great.